Welcome to the Fall to Grace podcast, a show dedicated to those who have stumbled, struggled, failed, and fallen, perhaps more than once. Our message offers encouragement, hope, and connection to turn your personal shame and suffering from a fall to grace. Thank you for joining us. We hope you will enjoy today's episode. All right. Um, hello, everyone. <laughs> I, I get it. I get a chuckle out of saying everyone because I don't even know if there's even one person <laughs> listening to this. But um, those of you that are here listening or watching my podcast, The Fall to Grace, thank you for being here and thank you for sharing um, a few minutes with me. I'm Kevin Kirkland. I'm the host of The Fall to Grace podcast, and I'm grateful to have this opportunity to share ongoing thoughts um, about healing and um, recovery and forgiveness and moving forward and creating a new normal, if necessary, uh, starting over, um, crawling out from underneath the rubble. (laughs) But um, I know that, and I know that you know, that it cannot be accomplished on your own. I say, and I have said many times, that it will feel like you're alone, and many times you will be alone, and you will experience loneliness, but indeed, the moving forward, the going onward and upward, the, the reaching of, of new goals and uh, new horizons um, is very difficult to reach completely on your own. And so I've acknowledged in the previous two episodes uh, those that have been my first responders and a call to action for those of us uh, to remain and continue to be first responders for others. But it does take a lot of effort, and it will take help, um, professional help, interpersonal help, familial help, um, help from above, um, maybe even miracles. One of my favorite movies of all time is uh, The Princess Bride. And in that movie, those, for those of you that have seen it, you'll remember the scene with Miracle Max where um, they take the, the farm boy to, to be uh, healed, um, and, and he has to live again so that he can you know, make Prince Humperdinck suffer. And they take him to Miracle Max because he's been he, – they think he's dead or they say he's dead – mostly dead, as Miracle Max would say, not all the way dead. And they take him to Miracle Max to revive uh, the farm boy, uh, to, uh, to be able to get uh, Princess Buttercup away from Humperdinck and you know, to live happily ever after, so to speak. It's a very funny scene uh, with, Bill, with Billy Crystal playing the character of Miracle Max. And after going through this, uh, you know, gyrations of... <laughs> Uh, telling them that he can bring him back to life, and he makes a, a pill dipped in chocolate <laughs> that he can take, and that uh, it'll work. It does take some time for it to, you know, <laughs> for it to function. You know, give it thirty minutes or an hour or whatever it is. I don't recall specifically, but what I do remember is <laughs> at the end, um, the the wife of Miracle Max asked, "Do you think it's really going to work?" And Miracle Max says, "It's going to take a miracle." <laughs> So it will take a miracle. And in my personal experience, um, it has taken miracles. I mentioned it in a previous podcast that, you know, in order to move forward from the kind of trouble that I was in, 
and maybe that you or someone you know is in, it will take miracles. Um, and I promise you that miracles do occur. Now, I don't know what you might call a miracle. Um, I'm not talking about the turning of water to wine or walking on water or you know, raising someone from the dead sort of miracles. I'm not talking about that. That's way above my pay grade and, and uh, not the sort of miracle that I'm talking about. I'm talking about the everyone's life, day-to-day, run-of-the-mill sort of miracle that I have seen over and over, and that showed me a very important thing. I knew, I have always known, and I was reminded of the absolute fact that my Heavenly Father is aware of me, He knows me intimately, He knows who I am, where I am, what I've done, where I'm going, what is in my heart and mind to do and what it is and who, it I, who I am, who it is that I am becoming. And I wanted him on my side. I want him on my side. I need him on my side. I looked for evidences that he was there, um, whether, he, whether it was planting of seeds or the dropping of breadcrumbs, but I really began to look and to seek and to be aware of um, miracles because I needed them. And uh, I needed to be looking for them. Now, in the previous podcast, I mentioned um, a brief video that my daughter Katie had made for the media channel of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints for a podcast series called His Grace, and I put a link for that, for you to watch that video clip um, in the previous episode's um, notes. So please watch that. And in that video, she mentions that the reason she was able to find forgiveness was because that she was looking for it and because she was working for it. And I, um, advertising and marketing people would call that the red car effect. Now, if you, without thinking about it and without, you know, trying to go back and, you know, recount or replay in your head what you may or may not have seen on your way to work today or what you may, you know, on your way to school or whatever it is. And if I asked you the question, you know, how many red cars have you seen today? You may be able to recall one or two. But if you get up in the morning tomorrow, let's say, and you look for red cars, you're going to find them everywhere. It's called the red car effect. Advertisers and marketers call it a red car effect. Now, uh, you know, unless it was a Corvette or a Porsche or something, you wouldn't necessarily recall it. But if you're looking for it, um, the the miracles are there. Miracles happen all the time. And in my life and in my experience, especially while I was incarcerated and even continuing to today, even continuing to the fact that I'm even making this podcast, (laughs) in a way, is a bit of a miracle. And that's my point. If, uh, If we look for miracles, we will find them, and we will notice them, and we will appreciate them. And I reassure you that we are being cared for, and it will, I should say, reassure you that, you're being, that you're being cared for with uh, tender mercies. Now, uh, some of the miracles that occurred in, um, in jail while I was incarcerated might not seem to you to be miracles. I'm going to go over a few of these, and then you can decide for yourself whether you think they're miracles. But for me, they felt miraculous because they were things that were out of my control. They were things that seemed to occur on a plane 
above or beyond myself. Um, a spiritual plane or an existential plane or whatever you might want to think of it, however you want to consider it. Um, I'm calling these things miracles because they were so sweet and tender, and you might think they're, they're just coincidences. But in the realm of spiritual things, there are no coincidences. And so I am talking about those kinds of miracles. Um, they can be easily dismissed by if, you're, if you don't have any idea or thought or belief about those kinds of things, and that's fine. Uh, you don't have to accept what I'm saying as gospel truth. I'm just sharing with you my own personal experience. Now, believe it or not, one of the simple and one of the things I was most grateful for, and it's a simple thing, it may not mean anything to anyone else, was that I was arrested wearing my glasses. Now, as I have gotten older, um, I wear glasses almost all the time now, and there's reasons for that. But when I was arrested, I was often, most often wearing contact lenses and wearing sunglasses outside all the time. But I was arrested wearing glasses. Now, if I'd have been arrested wearing my contact lenses, the first three days I spent on a concrete floor, cold, <laughs> miserable. There was no sink. There was no contact lens solution. There was no way for me to, there was no way, place for me to put the contact lenses. None of that trouble happened because I happened to be arrested wearing my glasses. And I was grateful for that. Um, it seemed like a simple thing, but as, it, as I moved forward, I was so grateful that that little miracle had occurred. Shortly after uh, I arrived um, in jail, you know, again, it's a frightening place. It's unknown, it's unfamiliar. Um, you don't know what's going to happen. You don't know what danger you're in. And there was um, a bunkmate of mine that, who went by the name of Benny Goodman. Now, I don't even know if that was his real name. But where, where I was, it, I, I wasn't in a cell. It was sort of a holding tank. It was in a, a county jail situation. Two stories, uh, 24 bunks upstairs and 24 bunks downstairs with a stairway in the middle, uh, common shower, common bathroom area. Uh, no privacy whatsoever. But, uh, I, and I was arrested on May 9th. Um, my birthday happens to be May 20th. And I don't know how Benny found out. Um, I hadn't had any conversations with him, and I don't know how he found out anything about me. But in the middle of the night, so that nobody else could see, he woke me up, and he tapped me up, by tapping me on the shoulder, he says, uh, Kirkland, I've got something for you. And I woke up, and He'd made me a little birthday cake. Now, that might seem like a silly thing. He didn't ask anything from me for it. He was just in the kindness of his heart. He'd made me a little birthday cake out of whatever commissary he had. I think he mashed together a honey bun and a, and a ding-dong or something. And you know, there, was no, there was no candle or anything like that. That's not allowed, any kind of fire or matches or anything like that. But... He made me a birthday cake, and I just I couldn't believe how, how kind that was. Another little miracle. A couple, a few days went by, and, um, you know, I, I'd been there maybe a week or so, uh, not talking to anybody, not really making friends or anything like that. And I thought, man, I, I wish I had a Bible to read or have my scriptures to read. And I was walking by a person's bunk, and I noticed there was a Bible at the foot of the bunk uh, of the person, the person that was sitting there. 
I said, um, are you uh, reading that Bible? Do you, do you have any use for that Bible? He says, no, matter of fact, he says, I was trying to get rid of it. I, you know, I, do you want it? I said, yeah, I do. Well, it just so happens that it was um, what in the Mormon church is called a you know, quadruple. It has the Bible and the Book of Mormon and other scriptures in it. And so I, all of a sudden, I had everything I needed <laughs> or could possibly want right, just delivered, just right there. It just, it's like it, it appeared like manna from heaven, and I was very grateful for that. Another uh, event that occurred that for me was miraculous was, you know, people couldn't just come and go and visit me. Uh, on TV or in movies, it makes it look like it's easy to get in, in and out. It's, a, it's an arduous, you know, process to go visit someone when they're incarcerated. It's not easy to do. But I had a friend who was a part-time police officer, and he came um, to visit me. And we, I was able to be in the same room with him without any barrier. His name was Keith Dow, and faithful, you know, Latter-day Saint, good man. And he came one night, 1 a.m., middle of the night. Uh, I was called, you know, announced that, hey, Kirkland, you have a visitor, you know, 1 o'clock in the morning. I'm thinking, who in the heck's possibly coming to see me at 1 o'clock in the morning? And it happened to be Keith. And I was so grateful to see a kind face. He embraced me. Um, we talked for a while. He gave me a blessing. And it was just a, it was an absolute miracle. Now, once I started to feel very, I mean, after some time passes, I, I started to feel more and more uncomfortable and unsure, even though the, some of these little things had happened that reassured me that, you know, my Heavenly Father was watching out for me. You know, after a while, you get a little worried how things are going to go. And one night I woke up and I just thought, you know, I, I, need, I need something. So I opened up my Bible and it just happened to fall open to Jeremiah 33.3. And Jeremiah 33.3 reads, Call unto me and I will answer thee and show thee great and mighty things which thou knowest not. <laughs> and I thought, you know, if there was ever a time where a person needed to hear that message, it was then and it was me. And I realized that my Heavenly Father was calling to me and saying, you know, don't worry, call on me, and I will show you things you can't imagine, that you can't see now, that you don't know yet. Um, don't, I, I heard a quote or read a quote the other day that says, don't fear an unknown future to a known God. <laughs> you know, it, your future may be un, uncertain at this point. You don't know how to move forward from maybe trouble you've gotten yourself in. Keep moving forward. Keep doing the things that, we, that we've talked about. And I promise you that really great, sweet, and wonderful things can occur. You have to be looking for them. You have to be asking for help. You have to be willing to shed yourself of all the pretense and pride. All that has to go away entirely, completely. And I promise you that miracles like I'm talking about, little things that might seem to other people just circumstance. Well, you can call it circumstance if you want. I don't. Now, one of the things that occurred while I was there was my daughter Katie started sending me uh, talks by church leaders to, you know, buoy me up, give me hope. But her favorite speaker 
and perfect the person who was a, a leader in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, you know, ecclesiastical leadership is a, a man by the name of Dieter Uchtdorf. Now, he's Elder Uchtdorf or President Uchtdorf to those of us that are members of the church because of his specific callings or duties or assignments or responsibilities in the church. But she would send me talks by Dieter Uchtdorf. Now, Dieter Uchtdorf, as a professional, you know, in his professional life, he was a pilot and an, an executive for uh, Lufthansa Airlines. But then he was called to serve in, uh, in the leadership of the church, Quorum of the Twelve Apostles, then became a uh, counselor in the First Presidency. Those of you that are members of the church know what I mean. Those of you that are not members of the church, just understand that that's a you know high. It's a high calling, high high um, leadership position and responsibility. So she would send me these talks by Dieter Uchtdorf, and we called them lovingly the Dieter talks. She would send me Dieter talks, and I would read them, and I have something to share with you in just a moment about those Dieter talks. But she sent me lots of these. And they became topics of conversation. Um, people would walk by my bunk and say, what are you reading? I said, well, I'm reading a talk by, you know, by one of the, my church leaders. And then I would share it with them, and, and next thing I know, this, this uh, became a thing. Everyone was wanting to read the Dieter talks. And I had received, over time, dozens of these talks. And uh, so all of a sudden, within jail, in, in, <laughs> you know, in uh, West Valley Detention Center, Dieter Uchtdorf's talks are going everywhere. And you know, I took a moment to, to uh, you know, think about that. And I wanted President Uchtdorf, Elder Uchtdorf, to know what a miracle it was that his talks were having such a positive and wonderful influence um, on those that I, was, that I was with. Sorry about that. I don't know if that made a terrible sound when I hit that, but I apologize. So I sent him a letter, and I mentioned to him how grateful I was for uh, his talks and the influence that he was having on those of us that were you know, detained. And he writes me a letter. This was August 25th, 2016. Brother Kirkland, thank you for your touching letter. I'm grateful to have been using your time. I'm grateful that you've been using your time in the correctional facility to read the scriptures and renew your testimony of the gospel. May God bless you with the desire and strength to maintain that course that will lead you to a fulfilling future, and may you continue to make the wise choices which will guide you through this particular time in your life. He goes on to say, perhaps you'll find hope and joy in your circumstances. And then he writes this, which meant so much to me. He says, remember, you are never alone because the Lord is with you, you are his child, and he loves you. With kind regards, Dieter Uchtdorf. Now, this is a man who has huge responsibilities, certainly didn't have any responsibility to respond to my letter, but by some sweet and tender miracle, he did. And it meant and means the world to me that I have this letter, and that he took a moment to consider me and show his kindness and tender mercies to, towards me, who didn't deserve it or certainly didn't expect any kind of return. Another little tender miracle. Now, one of the, one of the things about the environment of being uh, incarcerated is a couple things. Number one, it's never quiet. It's never dark. Loud, raucous noise, slamming of metal bar doors, all hours of the day and all hours of the night, at least on the hour every hour. 
Uh, above my bunk was a bright light, 24-7. It never went out. Um, it was very difficult to sleep. I, but I froze. I was so cold. And lo and behold, one time, by some miracle, <laughs> um, as I exchanged out my blanket and sheet for the week's exchange for a new sheet and blanket, I was mistakenly given two blankets. That small tender mercy um, of having a second blanket. Now, these are not quilts. <laughs> I'm not talking about, you know, warm comforters, you know, quilted. That's not what these are. These are thin um, blankets. And I was so cold all the time while I was there. I was so grateful to have that second blanket. Now, I mentioned the light <laughs> always on above my rack or above my bunk. Well, one night when I was so exhausted and so I just wanted to sleep so badly and so desperately needed to get some sleep, it went out <laughs> just like that. The light went out. And I was able to sleep through the night for probably the first time in a long time. Another sweet little tender miracle that occurred that just seemed to make my life a little bit more bearable was my sister Kelly sent me in my, in my commissary six washcloths. Now, that may not seem like a big deal, but on the metal rack, there's a thin, we'll call it a pad. It's not a mattress. It's like a pad with no pillow. And it's very difficult to find a comfortable place to have your head to sleep. Well, when she sent me those six washcloths, I had a pillow, and that made I was able to fold them over and create some support for my head. Now, those of you listening might think, well, that's not that big of a deal. Well, for me, it was a huge deal at the time. And why she thought of that and why she would even send me six washcloths, she didn't send me six washcloths so that I would have a pillow. She just was generous and sent me six washcloths. The miracle was it enabled me to have a pillow. Now, one of the other things that occurred was that, and as, as I've mentioned before, I knew that through my experiences, through these and others like it, that my Heavenly Father was aware of me. And as I've said many times, this podcast is a call to action. Let those that you care about know that you're there, that you're thinking of them. They don't have to be incarcerated. They could be in the bedroom down the hallway in your own home. They could be living in your neighborhood. They could be going to church with you and sitting in the pew next to, next to you. As I said in a previous podcast, treat everyone that you meet as if they are in dire trouble, and 98% of the time you're going to be right. We all struggle with something. We all need reassurance. We all need to have words of power spoken over us. Well, one of the other sweet and tender miracles that occurred was a letter that I got. And oftentimes, miracles did come in the form of letters. And I want to share with one with you now, and, uh, and then I'll close, because I can see the time is, you know, I'm close to 24 minutes already. I got a letter from, 
it was in a very plain envelope. It had a return address on it with no name on the outside, so I didn't know who it was from until I opened the letter. And the letter simply reads, it's not even dated, it just simply reads, Dear Kevin, I just read that you settled your case. I also spoke to Kelly a few weeks back, and she let me know that you should be out soon. I've been following your case on the court website, hoping for the best for you. I am happy that you will soon be on your way to putting this in your past. I wish you all the best. Sincerely, Mike Inger. Now, the miracle of this letter was that Mike Inger was a man that I'd gone to high school with and I'd played football with, but we were not super close. We weren't chums, pals, mates, you know. We weren't the closest of friends or best of friends. We didn't party on the weekends or hang out. But we had had the association of being on the same football team together. And that brotherhood, by some miracle, <laughs> had continued for him. And out of the blue, and across decades of time, and across thousands of miles of distance, so to speak, metaphorically, here comes this letter from a very dear, kind man, Mike Inger. Those little things may seem like nothing, but those little things are miracles to me. And they occur over and over. And they especially occur when we're looking for them, working for them, hoping for them, and especially when we express our gratitude for them to our Heavenly Father to our friends, to our family. If we will look for them, we will find them. And I pray that we can all be those that will offer the miracle and be the miracle and send a word of power as a miracle over those that we care for and love for and that we love. Thank you for joining me today for this episode of uh, the Fall to Grace podcast, and we'll see you next time.